All right, everyone. Uh, I I really love hearing about people that have, see a problem and create a solution. And a lot of people, and I, this is what I did at Diesel, right? I, I said, hey, there's a problem here. We're going to do something. And I remember people telling me when I said, I'm going to go document every fault code that exists. People are like, that's impossible or that's stupid. Why would you do that? Do you know how big that is? Like, like all the, all the naysayers and these people. Um, so what you're going to hear in this podcast is with Zach Jones. So again, this is someone that worked in a space for a while, saw a problem and said, I'm going to make a solution. And these are not overnight success stories. I mean, they're just getting going. They're in, they're in beta about to go about to open it up to the general public. And there's real challenges. I mean, there's only so many time, so much time and so many dollars you have to spend on things and you have to get them going. And he had a lot of things he needed to overcome here uh, because the marketplace he's trying to build, you can only have a marketplace if people can find the thing they're looking for. And in the world of off-highway construction, ag, componentry, and parts, that's just behind paywalls. Only dealers have access to those things. It's a really hard thing to do. So he's doing a very similar thing to what we do with diesel parts but we're more focused on commercial truck. He's more on the off-highway. He took a different approach. And he might be right. I might be right. Maybe we're both right. I don't know. But I love the story. I love talking to people like this. And if anything you get out of this is where there's a will, there's a way. So enjoy the episode. Grab a cocktail, popcorn, whatever you want. Take a listen. And uh, I think you'll come away saying, man, we need more Zacks in the world out there creating solutions to problems. So enjoy the episode. Welcome to the DL. I am your host, Tyler Robertson, also the CEO and founder of Diesel Laptops. Again, the podcast show where I get to talk about my two favorite things in life, and that would be entrepreneurship, and that would be everything going on in this diesel repair industry. Like these are my these are my hobbies. These are the things I enjoy doing and talking about. And any chance you get to find someone that does both, I'm like, you got to come on the podcast show. So I have a gentleman with me today, goes by Zach Jones, same title as me, founder and CEO of Parts Club. So welcome, sir, to the DL. Yeah, Tyler, thanks so much for having me. So Parts Club, how, how, do, you, how do you explain to people what that is? Sure. So if I'm stuck in an elevator, hopefully not for too long, and we're doing a pitch for somebody, um, Parts Club is a marketplace that connects buyers and sellers of heavy duty parts. Uh, and we're focused on the egg space, the construction space, trucking, and industrial. So like forklifts and uh, aerial lifts, that kind of thing. Um, and so really we're looking for those heavy components that customers are having trouble finding online or in general, um, and just really looking to help suppliers get that inventory digitized. Um, the big problem that we're seeing and, and that I slammed into when I joined this industry was that 99% of products are digitally undiscoverable. So they're sitting on a shelf, but nobody knows they're there. They're not connected to the internet in any way, shape or form. So I think the world is going to look very different when we do solve that problem. And when I looked at it and I said, okay, let's work backwards. What needs to happen between that world and the world we're currently in and started that entrepreneurial journey. So why ag and off highway? Why, why not really automotive or power sports or motorcycles? Like how did you, how did you land in that particular niche? I was born into it. Um, my father owns a business in Toronto, Canada that does hydraulic repair and parts for forklifts. 
And so I, I was in that shop from the time I was two feet tall and went off to college, came back, worked for them. And I know that industry like the back of my hand. And so it was really interesting. And I also wanted to do something that was going to support businesses like his. And he spent his whole life building this incredible business. And um, they, when I joined as, a, as an adult, um, they had 36,000 products in the warehouse and none of them were online. And so the second that we were able to get those all organized, photographed, priced, everything, our business transformed. And I saw the potential in that to help businesses like his that have that expertise and that um, great business acumen, but are just struggling to take that next step and compete against some of the larger players in the space. And so that's really where, where I got started. And um, I think there's a lot of businesses like that in those particular verticals that are on that like 15 to 30 employee range and are just on the hump of doing something really special. So I, I just got to ask this. I, I'm always just curious. What, what did you go to college for? And did you graduate? <laughs> I did. I graduated twice. Um, yeah. So I, I did philosophy and economics, uh, a little more philosophy than economics. Um, so I did philosophy in undergrad, economics in undergrad, and then did a graduate degree in behavioral economics. So like why we choose the things we do, why we do the things we do. I was just trying to understand like why the heck we make the decisions we make. So um, that's really, really interesting. I, I went to school first for computer engineering and then I got, I got kicked out after two years cause I, I never went to class and I guess they kick you out if you don't show to class and fail all your classes. Um, but then I am doing like night school, my bachelor's degree. And the one course that I did not want to take at all, like I was so dreading it, but it actually ended up being my favorite course was actually like an intro to philosophy. Like, I, yeah. I don't know what it was about it, but I was like, man, this is like, like the human mind understanding things. Some people think this, you know, Socrates and all these things. It was just a very interesting thing. So if anyone listening to this has never read about it or read a book or learned about it there there's actually some really interesting things uh that you can take away from that and apply to to business and everything uh, so again i just was curious like we all we all kind of end up in this industry it seems like and i was really intended to get here but we we end up here and we stay here so i want to go back to you know your father's business and you guys are trying to go online and digital and i think a lot of people think it's a super easy thing. Oh, we'll buy a website, we'll throw the product up on there and, and the money will follow. Um, but in my experience, it's not really easy to even like get your product on the platform, right? You had 36,000 SKUs. I can't imagine you guys had photos and data and descriptions no. and all these things like ready to go. So what was that process like when you guys were like, we're gonna go try to do this thing? It was incredibly painful. It, it was like building the pyramids where you're like, you mean they had no telehandlers and you're like no they had no telehandlers um so we are we were back there you know 40 degree heat taking photos non-stop and dusty and dirty and we it took two two and a half years of just pure grunt work to get that stuff done and what it did is it really taught me what is involved in that process and how hard that's going to be for people and when we looked at the e-commerce space and we we're like okay what's required to put a product listing together Typically you need a photo, but not necessarily. You do need a description, you need an updated price, you need a weight. Um, those are actually really hard to do. Even something like weights, like weighing all your products is just impossible. Keeping your pricing up to date with inflation being as dynamic as it has been is just impossible. So what do we do in a world where that is really, really hard for businesses to tackle? And that's really what we spent a lot of 2022 doing at Parts Club was being like, okay, 
pricing is hard to maintain. Weights are hard to maintain. Photos are definitely challenging for a lot of people. How do we help these suppliers look incredible online when their data is not that great? And so we've spent a lot of time trying to connect buyers and sellers without a part number um, in an attempt to kind of take care of everything for the supplier, deliver a clean quote to them and let them quote it. Yeah. So for the audience, what, what Zach's referring to here um, at the end of the day, in the automotive world is aces and pies. So pies is product information, weight, dimensions, pictures, all those things. And then aces is more of um, what does it fit? So what's really interesting here is in the automotive world, if people go like on Rock Auto or Amazon, they can be like, oh, I got a 1999 Toyota Camry LE four-cylinder. Boom, there's my wiper blades or whatever the part is. You can, you can do those things. In the commercial truck world, that's virtually impossible at this point. And I know in the off-highway world, because I was on one of the committees um, and on a panel talking about this, the, the data standardization really with auto care, um, off-highway is even further behind. And it, it, it's, it's, a really, it's a really complex thing that people don't understand because in the world of HD, at least commercial trucks, I don't know if you can speak to this all about off-highway, but in the, the heavy-duty truck world, you may have an injector manufacturer that makes an injector that sells it to Detroit Diesel, and they know it goes into Series 60, but they don't know what year make models trucks that Series 60 engine goes into. So nobody, no, the original parts manufacturers like, I don't know, I can't even tell you my year make models, my own products that I made. Is it a similar thing that you guys find in the in the ag and off highway space? It is. Um, also because the, the OEMs are playing games with the aftermarket, right? So they're changing part numbers, they're they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff to keep shifting the ball from cup to cup. Um, so it is really hard, both from the supplier side and the buyer side to come together based on a part number. For the buyer to figure out their own part number, I mean, really who wants to do that, to be honest? Like you just wanna call someone and be like, I have a broken excavator, it's this thing and take a photo and send it off to somebody. And so we understand that from a buyer's perspective and the supplier side, they typically have the tools they need to look this stuff up. They just need to know what you want. And so for us, what we came up with in 2022, and I think we talked about this before, was super interesting, was a drop-down menu or a drill-down. So to be like, I've got this type of machine, this brand, I need the bucket cylinder, and maybe throw in a quote for a seal kit for it as well. And when the supplier can follow that logic down to the bucket cylinder seal kit, you don't necessarily have to provide a part number. They'll figure it out on their own in a few minutes. Um, but it's very different from an experiential standpoint on both sides than somebody just texting you a photo and being like, I need this thing. And now it's like a 40 minute quote for you to figure out. So, so I guess walk me through it a little bit. Um, it's like a scenario, right? I'm a buyer. I got my excavator. I'll use your bucket example. I need a, I need a bucket or a cylinder for the bucket, right? What, what, what is the buyer doing? And then what happens to the seller or sellers, I guess, once that buyer does his piece of it? Yeah. So the, the buyer's coming in and we take them through what we call a quote flow. So you come in and we go, what machine are you working on? Brand? equipment type, excavator, uh, model serial. And the next step we do is we go, what part are you looking for? And we present him with a bunch of categories and he can click on one, drill down, see subcategories, then see more subcategories and more subcategories. And so by the time he clicks through and, and tells us what he's looking for, um, we fire off that quote request to a series of suppliers who match the brand, the equipment type, the product type that he's looking for. And that all happens automatically. Um, very similar to when you go for a car insurance quote, and you say, I've got this car, I, I do this much driving or whatever, and then they fire it off to a bunch of insurance companies and you get your quotes that way. So it's the same type of experience. 
Um, the nice part about that is they don't necessarily need to know the part number and the supplier gets all this great information. They know exactly what machine it is. They got their model and serial number. They got the part description. It's a pretty quick quote. Um, and even if they decide, hey, this, is, this isn't my type of quote, I don't want to get involved, at least they can make that decision really, really quickly. Yeah, so we have a, a similar thing here. We have like a little mini lending tree, right? So a customer applies for financing, we get it and we send it out to a bunch of people and then we, we get them back. So on your platform as, I'm assuming the seller gets a notification on their phone or their email or whatever happens, um, are, they, are they replying back right to like emailing and calling the customer or are they just providing price and availability or what do they, what do they send back to that buyer and how do they do it? Yeah, so they're, they're clicking a link in that email and they're heading back into Parts Club and they're going through a quote flow. And so we ask them to build a quote for the buyer in Parts Club. So that's price, availability, any special conditions, like something's non-returnable or special shipping conditions or whatever. They quote their freight, they send it off for approval. And when the buyer approves it, they get the order notification. Um, so that's all happening within the platform. So how does the payment happen? Are you taking the credit cards on the on the platform and processing them that way? Or are you just saying, okay, buyer, seller, go, go to your transaction over here now that you've picked your seller yeah the easy one um if the so one of the things the supplier can dictate in the quoting flow is whether they need a credit card right away so what they're saying is do i know tyler or is tyler a new customer if he's a new customer i need a credit card we're not doing anything that way if they already know you and they have an established relationship they can just let you check out without a credit card and that was something that we thought really hard about because a lot of these buyers and suppliers have pre-existing billing relationships and we didn't want to stick our nose in the middle of them and get in the way. And so um, typically the credit card is required 95% of transactions. But if you have an existing relationship, you're like, hey, I know Joe. Um, Joe bought from me yesterday. He's got an account here. Um, you can just let Joe check out without a credit card if you need to. But we take all that on the platform. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're processing the credit card yourself, essentially, then. Or is the seller processing the credit card? Nope, we're doing it. You're doing it. Okay. Yeah. So like your business model, then, do you guys make money... From the buyers, the sellers, the credit card transaction, like where, how do you guys, how do you guys end up monetizing this? Yeah, so we make money in a few different ways. Um, on the buyer side, your first 10 quotes per month are free. And after that, you do need to pay a small Netflix size subscription. So it's like $7.99 a month. Um, on the supplier side, we take 3% of the transaction plus credit card fees. So as a marketplace, you have a decision to make always of what side you want paying and what side you don't. Um, we decided to go a little bit, a tiny little bit on both sides rather than load up on one or the other. Um, but it's really important that we make it free. So there is a free tier on both. Um, the suppliers are not paying us every month to join the network. They only pay when they sell. And then the buyers are not paying for their first few quotes. So if you've got one or two pieces of equipment, you're probably not running over. Hopefully you didn't break it 10 times this month. Um, so at that point you're still on a free tier. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. Um, I mean, Hey, 3% for a seller to get a sales lead actually sounds really cheap. So, I mean, these are not, and we're not in a, I mean, these are not $5 items, right? These are expensive items typically in the, the heavy duty and uh, off highway market and everything. Um, so I, I like the business model. I like everything there. Have you guys thought, I'm just curious, I'm just like spitballing here, but have you guys, have you guys thought about doing like almost like a Google, like preferred sellers or ads or any of that type of stuff as well to, to monetize it more? Or is that not come across yeah. the radar yet? Yeah. Um, I, I, before we hop on that, I just want to talk about the percentage for a second, just to give the listeners a little bit of context. So eBay and Amazon are between 18 and 22%. 
yep. uh, when you sell a product on there, just so people understand the difference. Um, there are lots of people I've sold on both platforms. They're great platforms, um, but 18 to 22% is a real punch in the gut. And so we're hoping that this is a much more attractive platform from a fee perspective. Um, when it comes to advertising, we are advertising on the platform. So we do help brands. What we do though, is because it's software, we can do some really amazing creative things with advertising. And so for us, what we do, what we call it is just in time advertising. So we will never show you a banner ad that doesn't relate to anything that you're currently doing. Um, we will present you with a ad just for the task that you're doing in that screen. And so if you're doing a lookup and you're trying to figure out what part you need, we will present an ad for somebody who can help you with lookup, um, like you guys or somebody else. And then when we're, we're looking at um, the order screen, so somebody's going in and they're saying, I got to track this order on the supplier side, um, we're presenting them with an option for a company that will actually help them fight disputes with couriers. Um, so that company is advertising on the platform. But they're only relevant when you're looking at the platform trying to dispute a fee from a courier. So we have the ability on Parts Club from an advertising perspective to do these creative little things to pop out the right person at the right time. And we also have the benefit of knowing who the buyer is and who the supplier is at a really detailed level. So like what fleet they have, um, what brands they typically work with, what part types they're looking up. And so if you're advertising as a parts business, we can tie you right to the right person as they're going through the quote flow uh, and bring you right in for the right situation. Yeah. So anytime you build a marketplace, um, no matter what it is, right? Like you're in your case, physical parts. I remember reading about Reddit when they first got started, the online forum, right? I mean, they, they didn't, they needed people to create content and, and they needed people to respond. They like make fake accounts and just do things yeah. to get traffic. Right. Um, but it's always the marketplace, always the challenge because you, you can't have buyers if there's no sellers and you have to go convince a seller to go jump on this platform, but you have no buyers yet. So how was that when you first started getting going? Was it, I'm assuming you went after sellers first and what was it like trying to find sellers or even the first one? Yeah. Yeah. So definitely a challenge. Um, I wouldn't advise it to people. It's an emotional roller coaster to go through that one. Um, but there are suppliers out there 100% in every industry that are looking for the next big thing. And it's really important that you, when you look at a market, that you don't look at it as one homogenous group and you break it out into early adopters, mid adopters, late adopters, and what we call laggards. And so when we look at the market of suppliers for trucking or egg or whatever, we're dividing all those potential suppliers out in terms of whether they're likely to adopt tech early, mid, late, or potentially never. Um, and so we're not wasting our time going after the right people. And one of the best indicators for us was like, do they have a great e-commerce website? Um, if they've already tackled that, they've probably got their product data organized. They're probably looking for customers online. Those are the folks we reached out to. And, and that was a really good strategy for us to break the back of it. Um, the other thing was, you know, I used DoorDash as a model. So it's like 2008, 2009, um, I bought a pizza on DoorDash and the pizza took like three hours to come. And the reason was that they didn't, I didn't actually buy it from the pizza shop. I bought it from DoorDash and then they turned around and bought it from the pizza shop and the tracking number wasn't linked and it was just mm -hmm. a nightmare. Um, but the fundamental thing that I learned there was like, we don't have to necessarily wait. So what we do is we put the supplier on, if you request a quote from the supplier, we have a team that will literally call them and be like, what is your price for this product? 
and we will sell on their behalf and some of the money. Um, so sometimes you do need that manual bridge yourself between the supplier and buyer just to kind of get it going. Um, but yeah, it, it is a very big challenge and one that I spend a lot of time talking to advisors and other entrepreneurs about for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, we get a similar thing going on. I'm talking about early adopters, right? Like we're launching a reseller program and there's some people that they do the pitch to like, give us the form paperwork, we're signing up, we're ready to go. And there's other ones that talk about it for weeks and months at a time before they before they finally decide to do something or do nothing, right? So we, I, I think everyone that runs a business, I'm sure runs across a very, very similar, very similar thing. Uh, so yeah, so setting up a marketplace, not easy, not difficult. How, how far are you guys into this? How long has the platform been up for and how's it, how's it been going so far, I guess? It's always tough. I mean, I was bootstrapping my company in my garage seven years ago, so I, I know the struggle of just not enough, to de- not enough hours in the day and not enough resources. So how yeah. things how things been going? Good, yeah, so we launched a beta version, so behind the login page. So everybody using the platform right now has to log in. They need an account approved by us. And so we've been testing that for about eight or nine months with wholesale businesses working with each other. And we've learned a lot and it's been great. Um, We are going to go public ahead of the login page on January 1st, 2023. So everybody will be able to see all the uploaded parts, um, buy a product, create a quote request, all that stuff right off the bat. Um, And that'll start for the first day of next year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you want that open enough, right? When Google starts picking you up and all these other things happen too, and the traffic and, and whatnot. So I, I totally get it. And I think the other interesting thing here is, is, I mean, you, you built a software company. Um, I didn't, you know, you, you didn't graduate the software degree. You got a philosophy degree, right? Uh, how did, how was that journey of figuring out, like, I need to build a software program and I know nothing about software, but how did that journey start for you? Yeah. I mean, the details of it are, um, tough. You got to learn the tools and whatever else. But what I studied in in school was choice architecture. And software for me is like the best sandbox for that because you it's so malleable and so manipulatable and we can test stuff. And so we can throw five buttons onto the platform and see which one people are interacting with in real time. Um, and so it's a really amazing opportunity for me to kind of take what I learned in the past and apply it to a new situation. And so software is something I've kind of always been around, um, but I've certainly had to learn a lot about a lot. And the part that I've really learned to appreciate the most is databases. Uh, it's the really, it's the like really boring part of it. Um, but something as simple as like, when uh, you go to create a quote on Parts Club, we ask you, what type of equipment are you looking for? And if you select loader, um, we need to know what brands to show you. We can't show you every construction brand. It's going to be really annoying. And then of the 30 loader brands, we need to surface the right five or six so that you're getting the most popular ones up top. And so you have a database of equipment, a database of brands for each equipment, and a database of the most popular brands for that brand yeah. set. And yeah. so you end up with all these databases on databases on databases. And it, it you you end up looking at the world through a series of databases, and it's really, really interesting to do. Um, but it's developed a huge appreciation in me for the people that have to figure out how those databases all relate and link together. And um, that, that's really what creates the magic of the experience. And when we look at dropping down you know, an, an advertisement and knowing when to do it, that's all predicated on like 17 to 18 different databases. And so really it's a fascinating problem around database structure and architecture. Yeah, I had this epiphany like several months back and I was like, you know, I'm pretty sure everything I do in touch now, there's a database behind it that's driving all these things that I'm doing. 
Um, and it really is true from what you're saying to banking to just our car. Like it's it's amazing databases and how much. Uh, Hey, I, I employ database people here. I, I know what they make. It's, a, it's actually a great profession for people that enjoy enjoy doing that. Um, so for did, like for me, like I, I took a little bit of computer software development stuff at school, at college. I, I knew enough to be dangerous. I really never did any like coding per se. Did you get into the weeds of the coding or do you just go kind of go find people to help you guys help you with that part of it? Yeah, so I, I don't code myself. Um, I can't read code. I can't check it. So it's been really important that I find resources that can help do that for us. And frankly, people that I trust. Um, I Unfortunately, I can't check that stuff myself. And so that's an area of the business where I have to find people that know what they're doing and believe in the business and really want to see it grow. Yeah, man, I, I knew I knew nothing about so I, I think I still don't know anything about software development besides what I what I've learned here. And what I've learned is I'm like, I'm just gonna hire some great people and they can they can make sure this happens. And I, I remember I made the mistake of, hey, I need a thing built. I'm gonna go on the internet and find a developer and he's gonna build me a thing. And then I was like, Oh, I got another thing. Like I'm gonna find another developer and go build another thing. And all of a sudden I did it like ten or twelve times and I'm like, wait a second, none of these things talk to each other, they're in different architects, they have different user auth systems. <laughs> I'm like, I kinda made a mess here and nothing nothing worked together like it was supposed to. Uh, but thankfully now, you know, that that was that was I think a turning point for diesel laptops when we said Man, we're we're gonna go we're gonna go add a million dollars to payroll and it's all for software development and it's not software developers, it's you know, these scrum masters and QA and executives and all these all these moving pieces you need to be a software company. So um, I just keep every day. I'm like, man, I, I hope the ROI is here. I hope the ROI is here. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're we're getting there, though, and everything. All right, man. Great. So so it sounds like you're going. It sounds like you got the beta going off beta, kind of opening up the thing to everybody. Um, what what's next? Is that is that it? Is there more features are lined up or is it like one baby step at a time? Or do you got like 50 things going all in parallel at once over there? Yeah, we got a lot going on. Uh, and when we go public, it, we're going to go public in a big way. But the the biggest thing that we've been doing is working on that quote flow, making sure the buyer doesn't need a part number uh, and making sure the supplier doesn't need to have one update, like uploaded. And so that took us, there's probably only, I would say, 100 suppliers in our marketplace that have the ability to upload products, period. Yeah. And so by reducing the need for a part number now, we've gone from 100 potential suppliers to 4,000 potential suppliers. Um, and so same thing with the, with the buyer, um, with the buyer, we went from, you know, a thousand buyers a day that could realistically use it to hundreds of thousands globally. And so, um, it's going to get real hot, real fast in January and February. And we're looking forward to it for sure. Yeah, no, I think you're onto something. I mean, the data standards don't exist to, to allow people to have those lookups and, and find parts and we got right to repair and people don't want to share their exploded views yeah. and all these things. I mean, there's there's a million things that have to happen in order for that. So I really love what you're doing, man. I, I've, I've seen similar things in different industries and I, I know the grind. I've, I've been there. I'm still there. So I, I totally respect and appreciate everything you're doing over there. Uh, people want to find your website. We never gave out the website. And if people want to get a hold of you, where do they go? Yep. So um, our website is partsclub.us. You can drop us a line there, or you can always contact us at sellmoreparts at partsclub.us as well. Well, Zach, it's been a pleasure having you on there. Um, and, you know, obviously the people on your platform need my diagnostic tools. We got parts things and service things. So hopefully we can keep working together here, find a way to work together, improve both our businesses. I look forward to the future. Uh, you got a fan over here at Diesel Laptop. So keep up the great work, man. Um, and as we had in every episode for everybody, 
please comment, like, share, subscribe, tell a neighbor, tell a friend, uh, tell the guy next to you at the bar. Whatever it is, we really appreciate uh, all the support and effort we get here from all of our listeners and watchers. And we're going to end the episode, not just diagnostics. It's diagnostics done right. Diagnostics leads to parts, partsclub.us. They definitely got people that can find you the parts you need. Thank you for watching and listening. Thank you.